Hawkins is in danger. Goodbye, Papa. You know, for the first time in my life, I think I'm thinking straight. episode of ham radio stranger things podcast i'm your host ashley and today i have yet another special guest on with me today uh robin farrell host of coffee and contemplation of stranger things podcast robin welcome to the show hello thank you so much for having me i'm excited to be here yeah so uh robin um like some people would think you're like robin buckley which is so cool that <laughs> you have a name of one of the characters i'm like so hoping that next year uh or next season that they at least have one character named ashley even if she's the mean girl uh who like gets eaten alive by upside down creatures i just want my <laughs> name in this show like ashley that for you know i was born in 97 so mm. for most of like 10 years of my life all the movies I ever watched from like the 90s, 80s, early 2000s, Ashley was always like one of the mean girl names and like, and yet they don't use it anymore. I'm like, why? Yeah. Yeah. But I definitely uh, hear, I definitely hear more Ashley's than I hear my own name. So yeah. I do remember when, yeah, when they, when they were introducing a character named Robin, I was over the moon. <laughs> And then she turned out to be such an awesome character. She's one of my favorites. So, yeah. Well, um, if I had been a boy, my name was going to be Michael. So I guess, I guess well. uh, some part <laughs> of it got in there. So thanks, mm -hmm. mom. I guess. <laughs> but uh, thank you for uh, so much for uh, coming on the show. Uh, everyone out there, if you haven't heard of the Coffee Contemplation podcast you should definitely go and check it out they're awesome uh robin you know has like several other co-hosts and they also do a fantastic job and uh your latest episode was talking about uh volume two and uh so everyone you should definitely go check that out so today robin is on with me to talk not just about stranger things season four but a particular episode of the four season we're going to be talk, talking about chapter four, Dear Billy. And because Robin is our special guest today, I decided to let her read you guys the summary of Dear Billy. All right. So <clears throat> Joyce and Marie deliver the ransom payment to Antonov's contact, Yuri, but he drugs them, planning to turn them and Hopper and Antonov into over to the Russians for a larger profit. Hopper escapes the prison camp, but is soon recaptured. Jonathan, Mike, and Will prepare to sneak away from Wallace and Harmon, agents sent by Owens to watch them, but armed soldiers attack the house. 
They escape with the help of Jonathan friend, Jonathan's friend Argyle, bringing an injured Harmon with them. Nancy and Robin interview an imprisoned Victor Creel, who recounts his family being tormented and killed by supernatural forces while he was arrested for their deaths. Max, fearing that Vecna is about to kill her, writes letters to her friends and family and goes to the cemetery to read her letter to Billy by his gravestone. She is soon possessed by Vecna and finds herself at an altar inside his mind. Steve, Dustin, and Lucas learn from Nancy and Robin that playing music can break Vecna's spell, and they play Max's favorite song, Running Up That Hill, on a cassette tape. This opens a portal through which Max narrowly escapes Vecna's control. Thank you so much, Robin, for reading that for us. And folks, if you couldn't tell already about the summary of this episode, it was a doozy. So I guess I want to begin, Robin, by asking you, you know, when we talked about, you know, when I invited you on the show to talk about an episode from season four, all the nine episodes you could have picked from, you know, can you tell everybody why you specifically wanted to talk about chapter four? I mean, this is the one everybody wants to talk about, right? I yeah. mean, <laughs> I mean, they they said it over on the on the Stranger uh, Stranger Still podcast. They were when they reviewed this episode, they said uh, this is one of, if not the best Stranger Things episodes ever. Yeah, I don't actually know that I would say this is my favorite, like like one of my top like three favorite episodes of the whole series, but it it definitely has the best moments, mm-hmm. like possibly ever and um I will say it really came down to I was I was really torn though because I was torn between this episode and chapter six the dive those were those were the two and they were really neck and neck for for Mm -hmm. a hot second there but this one came came up just to be I mean the the power of the running up the hill sequence I mean that I mean, I I still kind of struggle for words to to mm-hmm. really I mean, which kind of makes a lot of obviously we will come up with words because that's what we're that's the whole point of what we're doing here today. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that that it's just some of the best. I even would go so far as to say that that sequence is probably spoiler alert, uh, some of the best television I think I've ever seen. The writing, mm-hmm. just every single aspect of of filmmaking, just firing on all cylinders. That's that's a that's a phrase I use a lot on my podcast when mm-hmm. I will when I when when like all these different elements of of like you have cinematography, editing, the acting, the the music, the direction, just everything, sound design, just it's all put together, just everyone's on the top of their game everything's working synergistically and it just uh it it's great the whole is greater than the sum of its parts and Mm -hmm. I think that this episode is a quintessential example of that Stranger Things has a lot of moments that do that and I think that's what certainly draws me to the show as a whole but this episode man yeah it's like the prime example of that I agree like for me the fourth seat uh the fourth episode of each season is always usually my favorite of the season um Mm. and this one kind of does remind me a lot of the sauna test which was season three's chapter four because it's you know it's a pivotal moment it's a pivotal episode (laughs) in the season and and again like you mentioned the cinematography when when max enters vecna's mindscape and just because we've never seen that before mm-hmm. in the show and just the way they were able to pull that off and also you know um Dacre Montgomery 
wasn't even physically there with Sadie Sink when they were filming that part when she sees Billy like he was still in Australia because of COVID and everything he didn't want to come back to the States so they I think you said something like um Sean Levy who directed this episode like did it over Zoom like showing him what to do and stuff and I mean obviously they used a body double when she was in there with him but the way they were still able to play that off without him physically being there I thought was fantastic editing work and uh like the the directing of this episode was probably uh my favorite uh in this season I really do like Sean Levy as a director Mm -hmm. I like a lot of his films um I I mean I think a lot of us probably as Stranger Things fans probably all saw Free Guy precisely because he was directing it and because Carrie was was in it but like I I think that some of the some he he as a director is I think he is so good at a lot of the like one-on-one like close character interactions and but he loves spectacle and I think that sometimes he like I would say the Adam project was something that I think struggled with balancing the two but like Mm -hmm. most of the time like I think this is another great example of like when he's able to balance the two effectively he does it so well yeah I agree like and he also directed Night at the Museum Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. it's like all his projects are like his own and you never really think this guy produces and directs episodes from Stranger Things because it doesn't really look you know the same which I mean it's the Duffer Brothers you know brainchild but I mean he the the episodes he directs each season are like some of the best uh in Mm -hmm. the in the season so um you want to talk real quick about like things you really enjoyed about this episode yeah I can I could yeah like the I would say probably I mean obviously the the running up the hill sequences is like kind of the the real that's the like real meat of the episode but Mm -hmm. and I'm sure we'll discuss that more at length so that kind of goes without saying Mm -hmm. but I I actually really really feel like the sequence at the very beginning when Max is explaining what's happening to her that to me is the moment that she started that like to me that is actually my go-to example of what I'm like this is why she deserves the AMA nomination mm-hmm. um that she should have gotten because the way that that sync balances the the fear the pragmatism the fr- like the frustration the anger and also the like I don't really even fully know what I'm saying like the way she definitely handles all of those emotions at once is just insane like it's so so good so I actually really like the way that that sequence kind of comes together mm-hmm. um and it's a small detail but I also love that when Lucas gets to the school that he he's exhausted still but he immediately is like Dustin they're coming for you like he's still so concerned for Dustin I, mm-hmm. I, I you know I, I just think that's really sweet I love moment little moments like that um other favorite moments um I'm just skimming through my notes the the shootout as well like yeah. I that sequence is something that again I know a lot of times in scenes like that, 
it they'll get scenes like that will get flack for oh the the guy the the guy doesn't reload or whatever but Mm -hmm. that agent reloads several times which is like really impressive and that he's like balancing you know like where everybody is and he's he's thinking about where everybody where the where the kids all are Mm -hmm. um like I was truly sad when he when he died I was really really sad about that (laughs) but it's it's a really fascinating sequence and then knowing that it's a that it's a oneer uh which is not it's not surprising to me because Stranger Things is actually has a lot of of oneers in over the course of the season they actually are really really good at those and it's actually something I said all the way back in season one was that they have utilized that as part of part of their cinemagraphic language all along um mm-hmm. like one of my like one of my favorites is actually at the very beginning of season two it's at the halloween party um when you first when like billy and steve first meet like mm-hmm. it, you start outside in the yard and you go all the way through and into the house and then i mean the whole sequence all the way up until nancy walks away from steve at the punch bowl that's all one take yeah. and there might there might be cuts in there but it's presented as a oneer so mm-hmm. it was cool to see them utilize a one but in a different style than they have before. So mm-hmm. I thought that, that was really cool. Yeah, I um, I liked in this episode that Max, even in, you know, when she knew her time was coming to an end, you know, there was still, like, she still had that Max humor, you know, when she's like, if you think I'm going to spend... <laughs> It could be the last day of my life in that armpit this Mike Wheeler's basement you know I know a good lawyer and I mean I just love that you know she was still Max even though mm-hmm. and also I really did like her writing the letters to everybody everybody because it's like you know what would you do in that situation if you knew you're going to die in less than 24 hours you know how would you handle it I think we would all say well we would try to send our last goodbyes to our loved ones you know mm-hmm. but uh I think probably one of the the best things I liked about this episode and I don't know if the listeners are going to really like me saying this but I'm just going to say it I liked that <laughs> 11 wasn't in this episode now I mm. love 11 don't get me wrong but I think without 11 being in this episode it did give um max and the others not only their moment to kind of shine but for all the audience to be completely invested into what is happening with max like she is going to die here you know and i think if if we had 11 in there even if it was just us seeing her ride to the nina project site i don't think we would have been as invested in what was going on with max if that makes sense Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the the surrounding episodes are very eleven heavy, mm-hmm. and it sort of it. I think structurally, this episode works. Yeah, like I I agree with you. I don't think it speaks to you know. Oh, I'm I'm happy that we don't get to see eleven. Like I think it just it it would have felt narratively unnecessary. And also, yeah. I would also say like because something I noticed was that Eddie's not in this episode either. And I because I actually as soon as this one was over, I actually went ahead and watched chapter five which I wasn't planning on doing but I kind of was like I'm enjoying this and mm-hmm. I haven't I haven't gone back and rewatched the season 
uh, you know, and t- preparing for this for this episode, I actually hadn't rewatched the beginning of season four because I was really still feeling pretty raw about the end. So it was going back to the beginning. I was actually reminded of how much I enjoyed the beginning of the season. And so, you know, I'd been taking notes through all of chapter four, but then going into season or into chapter five, just to watch it. It was like, as soon as I saw Eddie, I was like, oh yeah, hey, I missed you, bud. Like, you know, cause Eddie's one of my favorite characters now. So, you know, me and everybody else. So yeah, same kind of deal. It's like, Eddie's not in the episode, but I don't think the episode suffers from like the absence of Eddie or Elle. Um, it yeah. allows them to have this moment, like very, it, like the focus is very centered on them. And I think that works. Yeah, because this episode was really when we see the stakes have been raised not just in Hawkins but you know in California as well because you know before in episode five we found out about the Nina project and you know why these men came and shot up the buyer's home um but you know originally Mike and company were just going to they just wanted to leave to go back to Hawkins Mm -hmm. they didn't the plan at that in episode four is not to go get 11 it's to go back to Hawkins they don't, you know, decide to rescue her until episode five when they learn about the Nina project and stuff. And I thought um, it was really good to see, it's, you know, still like their desperation to get out of there, you know, something innocent, so innocent as ordering a pizza so that they can leave. And then, you know, unexpected company shows up and then, you know, they get shot at and then they have to leave and, uh, Yet no, no one is chasing after them, but they just end up in the middle of nowhere. And I just, I like, I really love that entire uh, sequence mm-hmm. um, in the house. Yeah. And then, you know, it's surprising. It's surprisingly strong. Yeah. 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 Even then, with the even with the co- the comedic beats, like yeah. I mean, drive. I mean, I love Argyle. I'm so happy that Argyle is part of that crew. Like I. I adore Argyle. I, I I really hope he comes back for season five. I'm not mm-hmm. sure that he will, but I would be very delighted if if he returns because I yeah. I Eduardo Franco in the role he is a delight. Yeah. So, um, were there any was there anything you disliked about the episode or or just uh, if you had the opportunity to change it, you would. You know, some things in the episode. Um, I don't know that I would say that I would change anything in this episode necessarily, but I will say that, and I'm still kind of percolating on, on this, some of the stuff in, in Russia, like the, or in the Russia arc, I should say, um, something that I actually really liked about volume two was I liked the turn, uh, between Yuri and Antonov or Enzo, because I found Yuri really obnoxious from the jump I never like it's one of the few times that a that a new character did not win me over either Mm -hmm. as somebody like formidable like an opponent like like an adversary or like as a new likable character it just Mm -hmm. Yuri was was grating from from the first moment we met him I also find it fascinating that the first thing he does to them is lie I thought that mm-hmm. was really interesting. It's very indicative of where his character will go, that this is mm-hmm. not a trustworthy person. I just thought that was a really interesting like writing note from them. But 
I remember the first time through feeling like I just wanted, like very rarely am I like, I just want to skip through something. Like the only times that I want to skip over something is, is when there's like secondhand embarrassment. Like I find I can't watch a lot of the stuff uh, in season three at the beginning with Scoops Ahoy, like Steve embarrassing himself. I'm like, I can't watch this. I'm just going to skip it. But not because like, I don't like, I'm just like bored or whatever with, with a lot of the stuff with Joyce and Murray and Yuri, it was sort of like, let's get on with it. Let's just, you know, and that was a weird feeling to have. And I do feel like it does. It, it does take some brownie points away from from mm-hmm. how good the episode from how much of a flow there is for the rest of the episode it, there's so much else that's happening I feel like to say it drags it down is a little strong I don't know that I feel quite that strongly but it it is something in that area mm-hmm. and but but again at the same time the fact that then that turn gets made in volume two it's set up well. So I don't know. It's, it's like, I didn't hate it. I don't know that I would change it necessarily, but I remember the first time through and kind of, again, on this watch, I was sort of like, I just, I want to get back to the other stuff. Like I'm not enjoying this. Like just, just get to Russia, just get Hopper. Let's, let's go, let's go, let's go. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. Like that's one thing that really, really bothered me about this episode in particular is because, you know, everything else, you know, in the Hawkins and with you know out in California it was like you know speeding up you know so fast and it was like oh we're really getting somewhere here you know it's it's great and then they would jump back to Hopper in Russia or with Murray and Joyce and it was like I mean this is good but and it was like we're in quicksand now because it's just like it's so slow there's nothing happening here and I felt like it did take out some of the pace a little bit. And then yeah. it was kind of frustrating because, you know, Hopper and like when he escaped, it's like, finally, thank God, you know, <laughs> like we're finally going to get him home. We don't have to worry with this crap anymore. And then Yuri betrays everyone and they come back for Hopper and take him back. I was like, gosh we were so close yeah yep. and I mean I knew that's that's why they wrote it that way they wanted us to have that feeling but also I find it very hard to believe that Murray Bauman would have just drank tea randomly from this random yeah. Russian guy he just met I didn't really didn't really like that part but I'm like whatever no I, y- that is yeah. an excellent point. I I always I, I I know that it bothered me that they that they drank the coffee, but I remember. But you make an excellent point. Like, of course, Murray would never have done that. He would have been like Joyce, don't accept anything. But mm-hmm. I I feel like it's one of I hated it the first time through. Yeah, like it was like, why did we go through this whole escape attempt just to have him end up right back in the prison? Um, and I guess one functionally it is to get him from being just like out working you know with everybody else to getting him into that specific part of the prison where then they're going to be fodder for the demogorgon Mm -hmm. but at the same time it's sort of like why not just start like why did we have to go through the whole escape attempt and don't get me wrong I actually kind of enjoy that whole bit I actually particularly like on this, on the rewatch, I actually noticed for the first time uh, that I really like the contrast between Dimitri or, or Antonov and Yuri because 
Dimitri is like invested in Hopper getting away. Like he's paying attention. And it's not just from that same like sort of snarky, like, oh, I wonder if he'll make it. Like he seems invested in Hopper making it, um, which I think is like supposed to be involuntary, almost involuntary. But I like that. And I like that that creates a really nice setup for them continuing to become friends over the rest of the mm-hmm. season. But I think so much of this ends up being that they kind of wrote themselves into this it actually reminds me a little bit of like no I'm not I'm not gonna say that <laughs> that's that's it's, it's a whole sidebar we don't need to go down but uh it but it just it felt like they kind of because of the corner they sort of wrote themselves into at the end of season three well we got to get Hopper out of Russia how do we do that? So it felt like it was very plotting some of the time. Like, well, we, we have to get them there. We, it just, it felt like a lot of, we we're checking boxes. We're just getting mm-hmm. to this place and we don't really have any other option. Cause yeah. like, I, and I, I could feel the, the struggle that that must've been in the writer's room of like, we can't just wave the magic wand and have Hopper back in, back in Hawkins like we we can't do that I think the, the you know I think the viewers myself included would have felt cheated if it was like well then what did we go through all that for but at the same yeah. time you know they want to keep it because they want to keep it grounded and it's like but trying to to juggle those two things without it feeling too plotting and too draggy like it just yeah it, it yeah like I like a lot of what happens in Russia like I love a lot of like heart like I love Harbor's performance I love that relationship that he forms with with Dimitri mm-hmm. like I actually really love a lot of the way that stuff is shot too but it's yeah it, it did feel a little a little bloated shall we say I agree like that's and and to your point about you know them writing themselves into a little bit of a corner that's you know one of the the biggest uh problems I had with season three was like you know please don't do this to yourselves like (laughs) unless you can you back this up next season or or uh write something incredible that justifies this like you're you're not you know you're gonna open up a can of worms that you eventually have to eat and it ain't gonna taste very good and it's actually the Russia plot is actually one of the most or more controversial um things about this season because you know everyone seems to kind of agree on the same thing it was was too slow it was too drawn out and there was really nothing that really happened and at the end it kind of left everyone scratching their heads going so you send Hopper out there to, you know, just be a prisoner and be tortured. And then you wanted to do a gladiator thing with the Demogorgon. And then you say, oh, yeah, and by the way, um, the Russian plot, like, they know that everything's connected across the world. And if we just do this, we're going to help the kids. And now Hopper is no longer an alcoholic and a pill popper which is great, nothing wrong with that, but it's like, you didn't have, if that was your plan, you didn't have to do all that, you could have, you know, you could have had, maybe had Hopper at the end of season three go into the witness protection program or something. Which, I mean, that's what 
yeah that's what owens basically did for for joyce and will and jonathan and l i i think so a lot of this isn't necessarily specific to chapter four but i i feel like something that is generally true about season four with stuff like the russia arc is that they are court well they're course correcting a lot Mm -hmm. of the the because a lot of the things that i've seen people complaining about about season four are things that i'm like that problem started in season three we're seeing the results of choices they made last season and the, the russia stuff is a big part of that however i will say one of the things i like a lot better about chapter four or well season four and and it's definitely here in chapter four is that they took the russians more seriously this season mm-hmm. i hated yeah. the cartoonish interpretation of of the russians last in season mm-hmm. three I, I really didn't appreciate that especially given that we on coffee and contemplation we were reviewing season three right after russia invaded ukraine it was like this is yeah. really uncomfortable to talk about so yeah. like i even went ahead on the podcast and said like just so you know anytime we t- listeners every time we talk about russia it's contained just to this show yeah. and just to this cartoonish <clears throat> mustache twisty interpretation and so i like that the that that russia it was still a little bit on the um stereotypical side but it felt at least more like the guards are a formidable threat they they feel like these are actually smart people that are dangerous they Mm -hmm. that they're armed and dangerous and this is a threat we need to take seriously i like that like in in this chapter like when Dimitri's on the phone with Yuri and he's you you hear him getting getting captured I was like I was really like invested and like worried about is he about to get like dragged into a room and we never see him again and I'm really happy that didn't happen because I like him a lot um and even like when he's watching Hopper like I think the line that he that he says is like watch your back Mm-hmm. Like when Hop when Hopper's walking into the the other guard is like following him into the into the supply shed or whatever. Uh-huh. Like that's a very much like Hopper's not watching him. Like he has no reason to say that. Like yeah. it's he's in, yeah. you know, I so I like those little moments and like the environment felt like really intense. You know, you could feel the winter and those are things that I think season three didn't have. So I, mm-hmm. so even though it is course correcting, I can feel those moments where they're clearly making an effort to, I think, go back to the vibe that was seasons yeah. one and two. Like I, I appreciated a lot of that. So even though it's, so it's the Russia arc is a very mixed bag for me, but in this episode, yeah, it's like, why did we yo-yo him all the way to the church and then all the way back? Like, I know, I know. why. You can see yeah. the reason, but it felt it felt a little like they probably could have find found a, a less a more efficient way to to totally. get. Yeah. All right, Robin. So you ready to do a little music? I'm ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you some lyrics from a few of the soundtrack songs that were in this oh, okay. episode. And you can either, you know, give me the, the title of the song or uh, the artist. You can get credit for either one. Okay. Yeah. This this episode didn't have as much music in it as the others yeah. did. Um, I think, well, I think everyone can probably gather as to. Do it. So you ready? Yeah. Okay. So the first one, you're always right in all our fights because no one else can shut you down. 
or turn you around, you should see yourself. I'm not the kind to just close my mind. I don't think you're worth the time. I'll take to find the, the saving grace in you. Are you willing to give me any like hints to like when just generally like when in the episode it takes place? <laughs> like beginning, middle, end? Uh, this is towards the beginning. And it involves Steve. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, I have no idea. I'm not even going to try to pretend like I have any idea. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's fine. Um, this is like one of those, like, unless you're like really paying attention to the episode, you probably wouldn't, you know, notice it. But um, it's Hard Feelings by Al Kirby. Here's one you probably, sh you probably know. Um, it was a cool and lonely, breezy afternoon. You could feel it because it was the month of June. So I left my gate and went out for a walk. As I passed the dreadlocks camp, I heard them say, Duh. I don't recognize that, actually. How many people do? Like this song, there's only like a few verses from lines from the chorus that any people yeah. really remember. I mean, that makes me want to guess something specific, but I'm, I don't want to like just say that because I mean, there's two in this episode that that might apply to, but <laughs> I'm a terrible candidate for this game. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, it's past the duchy. Oh, I'm using, you okay. know the Argyle. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, my brain was in a completely different part of the episode. That's fine. I, yeah, I was. That's why I was like, oh, I'm thinking it's one of these other two, but no. Okay, so I feel less bad about that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like I'm sure there's a lot of people out there listening that probably don't know that you know as part of the the song, but they know past the duchy on the left hand side. Right yeah yeah um so you're a little bit distracted during that sequence i think yeah yeah here's one that i think you know you'll you'll probably know uh say nighty night and kiss me just hold me tight and tell me you'll miss me while i'm alone and as blue as can be that's definitely dream a little dream of me yeah. <laughs> Yes, by Ella yeah. Fitzgerald. This is the yeah. Ella Fitzgerald version found with uh, Victor Creel in his flashbacks. Yeah, I actually, I, I love that song. I actually really like the way they bring it back in at the end of the season. Mm -hmm. But also um, that song specifically, I really like the version of uh, the, the cover of it by the Mamas and the Papas. I actually really like that mm -hmm. version. That's a good, that's a good yeah, cover. It's a very beautiful song, but in Stranger Things, it's like really creepy the way that, you know, they use it because you know, you know, in the context of everything and, yeah. uh, you know, what happened when that song played at the Creole House in 1959. So uh, then the final one, I mean, you're going to know this one. Like, I know that you're going to know this one. If you don't, 
it was nice knowing you, Robin. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to hurt me, but see how deep the bullet lies. Unaware, I'm tearing you asunder. Ooh, there's thunder in our hearts. Is there so much hate for the ones we love? Tell me, we both matter, don't we? You, it's you and me. It's you and me, and we won't be unhappy. I don't know. What could that possibly be? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, definitely. That's that's our that's our mega star, Kate Bush. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. As yeah. like Lucas, we're all we're all fans now. <laughs> yeah. So, um, speaking of running up that hill, I just you know how to get your opinion on this. Mm-hmm. So this is not the first episode that we hear this song it's actually mm-hmm. played in episode one just a little bit of the first verse but this one is actually when it's like in its fullness mm-hmm. so what is it do you think about this song specifically that the Duffer brothers wanted for like what kind of message do you think they needed to use it for in the context of Max or you know with Vecna because you know Running Up the Hill is more of like a love song more than a, mm-hmm. you know, run away from Freddy Krueger <laughs> type song. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, I've actually spent a lot of time kind of trying to think about that, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I tend to just get lost in, in the, the, just the soundscape of it. I think there's so much about that sequence and about the way that the song is enfolded into it. They do kind of feel like they're sort of entwined together but the only thing that I've the only I guess hot take that I have is there's so much emphasis in what Max talks about with in her letter in in this episode to Billy and then also the what she's clearly wrestling with obviously in the way that then Vecna appears and then what she goes on to say in later episodes about the guilt that she's that she's just trying to live with Mm -hmm. about the the feeling of of shame that she's carrying so I that was one of the first lyrics that I remember jumping out at me when I actually like listened to the song separately I'll admit I had never heard the song before Mm -hmm. um and I am an 80s baby so I don't know how it how I missed it uh but yeah it I think it was I actually also think it was really wise for them to pick that song because it wasn't as well known as something as as any any number of other songs that they've used yeah. um like I like actually I think a good co- like comparison would be the way that they used the clash in season one like mm-hmm. should I stay or should I go is is really recognizable um and I think they wanted that to feel a lot less like they wanted that to feel more accessible this one i think was they didn't want necessarily us to be distracted by something like that would be a lot more would have a lot more association with it mm-hmm. just percentage wise in their audience and i mean i can say for me this song is going to be now inextricably inextricably linked to this show yeah because uh, <laughs> it's the first time i heard it and yeah. it's so well integrated so yeah it's that idea of like I'd swap our places like Mm -hmm. and because I think that that from a grief perspective yeah like I think that that sums up something that's part of a lot of people's grief process and 
I think that even just hearing that, it makes me just sad for Max because knowing, Mm -hmm. knowing what she's wrestled with since season two with Billy. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about the way they handled this episode. And it doesn't really go that far beyond this episode, which I think is this, how succinct they were with bridging that gap between season two Billy and season three Billy. That's something that we uncopied in contemplation. We spent a lot of time exploring that and discussing that because I loved season two Billy as a mm-hmm. as a as a villain, um, as an antagonist. I didn't, I wasn't the biggest fan of how they kind of wanted to separate him from season two into season three. And the like they they feel like two different individuals and and then her relationship max's relationship to him feels wildly different in the in each seat in seasons two and three so Mm -hmm. what i loved about this letter they don't they don't belabor the point they don't they don't spend more time on it than they need to that's literally Mm -hmm. what belabor the point means (laughs) but they 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 don't like they don't get maudlin with it and it so easily like a hair in either direction and that that letter that sequence could have tipped either into being not enough or too much and it's just mm-hmm. yeah they like ride that line and so her being able to say it really was both it was yeah you were awful to me and i hated you and you hated me but wow we'll never have that chance to grow past that and so that feeding into this this sense of I should have done more it maybe it should have been me I should maybe I could have done something and maybe you'd still be alive like that is such both so specific to this season and so Mm -hmm. and to Max's character but it's also such a universal experience I think I mean it was for me when I lost my dad like Mm -hmm. so it's I just I love that duality of like it, it being so catered and so well crafted onto this story but then also being something that's so accessible and that's not something that I think Stranger Things actually does that often Mm -hmm. it is escapist most of the time or when they touch on something that's really that's very real world accessible like I mean that's what I like about Billy in season two like the his threat is in no way supernatural he's Mm -hmm. he's abusive and he's racist and that is something that i love is that it's so gripping every time he shows up the threat his the threat of him is so dangerous because it is so realistic and grounded but i love this chapter this episode dear billy because it actually manages to do both and it that doesn't happen very often in the show I don't think and that's not an insult I I like the way they handle both but I love when they come together and this this is just like anyway I got a little off topic there but <laughs> but fine. yeah it's totally fine I, I do it all the time but, but I feel yeah. like that's that's what the song kind of oh, yeah. does it it, it yeah, funnels through all of that yeah. yeah I like I never heard it either and I love 80s music uh, as well and I remember last year on Stranger Things Day when they did the cast transformations and you know it was on the internet like you zoom in you can see what tape she's listening to and it's Kate Bush and like the you know the that album and I was like I'm so glad I I didn't you know look it up on Spotify or something you know and ruin it for me because I really love 
this song and the remix they did for the second trailer was just amazing i'm so glad they put it in uh at the end of this season but uh yeah i just i do think it's a really good good song use uh they used it very well this season whenever they uh put it in there and uh yeah like 37 years later it's like number one you know so yeah it was it was great you know great thing um i I wish that they would release like I know there's a lot there are a lot of remixes out there now mm-hmm. that are inspired by the show but I and the same thing for the for the solo piano but I really wish that they would release those the same way that they mm-hmm. did for the, the Baba O'Reilly remix because yeah. that the way that they remixed that this song for when they take down Vecna it's so good I love when they do stuff like that when they mix yeah. orchestral and and like you know, needle drops. I love mm-hmm. when shows will do that. And I really want this specific mix, but they mm-hmm. have, as far as I know, as of this recording, they haven't put that on any like sound yeah. or playlist. I, don't think I, they I want it. I want it. <laughs> I want it so bad. <laughs> Me too. And, and, so, the like screens are so beautiful. It's because it's like, you know, that it's, you know, like, oh, we can take a sigh of uh, relief at the end of the episode. She made it. Yeah you know and now we're being carried off into the sunset and they use streams a lot this season with uh Mm -hmm. you know music and like at the very end of episode nine um when the stranger things theme song they use strings in that as well they used it in the 11 theme a lot this season so it's it is to me one of their ways of saying okay like we're getting ready for the end of this show like completely Mm -hmm. and we're putting the finishing like we're just about to tie the bow you know we're putting the strings on and like literally and figuratively and so I definitely agree like the music this season not just in this episode but across the board was probably some of the best that um yeah the only there's only one thing that they did with the music this season that I really, really actively didn't like. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say what it is because we're not talking about that episode. But other than that one exception, I feel like the one thing that has been consistent and excellent across every single season without fail, again, until this one thing was the music and the, specifically the, the the OST, the score. Like they, mm-hmm. Kyle Dixon and Michael Stein have just like, they to me they are like some of the mvps of the show like and Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem i know i've seen some people criticize the show for being like oh it's synth music and it's like yeah but it's so evocative i mean like the eulogy track from season two that then they remixed i'm not sure why they called it dear willie on the soundtrack but that's what it is (laughs) it's it's basically the it's the eulogy track but they Uh updated it in the same way that they updated the kids track to teens mm-hmm. for this season i love that but yeah that that you eul- that piece of music eulogy it's so yeah. evocative it brings me to tears every single time they use it and i mean it helps that whatever we're witnessing in the show is it's underscoring literally mm-hmm. it's underscoring the emotional weight but it the wrong piece of music wouldn't do that and just yeah yeah it's it's I, like i think i know uh what uh piece of music you uh, are referring to and what episode and probably to, what scene do you do you want me to go ahead and, and mention it what it uh, is I can I mean I if you want to but I I have a good idea because I think I remember you you uh saying something about it on your latest episode of your podcast and uh, um 
I'll tell you what, I'll say it. And then if you want, you can cut it out if you choose. Okay. Uh, so, so it, the, the, the bit I'm referring to is the use of Moby's when it's called, I'd yeah. like to die because yeah. it, I mean, it kind of ties into kind of how I feel about, um, the, what kind of my issues are with season four, the end specifically mm-hmm. as a whole is that to me, thematically season seasons one and two and parts of three were fundamentally about making it getting through Mm -hmm. good winning over evil and season four they they've admitted i mean the duffer said this season was the empire strikes back they wanted to lose um but using that song which has been used which was so iconically used in season one when they find will and when will survives to turn that into the piece of music that they that is underscoring not just Eddie's death, but also Max's death. I don't know. There's something about that that still like really, really deeply upsets me um, because yeah. it, it's it's changing the chemistry of it, and it's I don't know. It it like taints it somehow, and yeah. But one of the things that I've wondered about is, and this is relevant to this episode in particular, is it makes me wonder if. some of the things that upset it that upset me most about season four was is what happened to max and the reason being that this felt like this sequence this episode felt like such a victory it felt like such a an empowering message of like yes you can overcome depression you can overcome suicidal ideation you can you can there is hope for you and it felt like so something we desperately needed right now I think that's a message that's always going to be good and important and valuable, Mm -hmm. but especially given the last couple of years and kind of what it looks like the next few years are going to look like, it just felt like something that was really, really important for right now. And the fact that then it's completely inverted at the end felt like it, I think for a lot of people, it felt like a betrayal and I wondered watching this episode this time if a lot of that was an accidental interpretation on on the audience's part, which is to say that I wonder if what they were going for with this sequence was look how narrowly she escaped. Like they weren't necessarily, I find this hard to believe, but maybe they weren't intending it to be metaphorical for for those for those things. Mm-hmm. But that's how it landed. Like they kind of accidentally walked into that and then as a result their intention didn't then end up following through in the way that they had hoped that it would Mm -hmm. Uh, that's me like really giving them the benefit of the doubt I have a hard because of how beautifully it articulates those ideas I I I don't necessarily know that I believe that theory Mm -hmm. but it would make me upset about it less if that was the case. <laughs> I, I mean, I, not by a huge margin, but a little. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, that's, I mean, and not to, again, talk too much about the end of the season, but it makes, it kind of makes this episode a lot less, not a lot less, it makes this episode a little less enjoyable because of knowing that a lot of this feels like it was not, it was for naught mm-hmm. in some ways, um, in some ways, not entirely, but yeah. in some ways. 
I get what you're saying. I really do. It's like now, you know, they used heroes in season three for Hopper's letter, and what I would thought was probably one of the uh, most beautiful scenes I think I've ever watched in TV, like on a TV show. And now, you know, it's like done in pain because he's alive and stuff, and the way they handled all that this season, never gonna watch it the same way again. Yep. But uh, I have, just have two more questions for you before uh, we get you out of here today. Okay. Uh, one is, um, you know, when Max goes back to her house to deliver her letters to her mom and her relatives, is her mom really there? Or was that just Vecna messing with her mind? Because I always like, uh, it's, it still confuses me. Like, I always thought, is she, is, was her mom actually home? Or did Vecna cause Max to see her mom because after, you know, she has the vision, we don't see her mom there at all. And I think that she's in the backyard when this happened. so the guys, you're out in the front waiting for Max and they don't see it happening. So what was your opinion on that? Was her mom really there or not? I actually didn't catch that. I didn't think about that the first time through, but this time watching it, I actually kind of, as soon as you got the, the wide shot right at the end, right before it cuts back to the, the guys at the car, mm-hmm. I actually kind of went, oh, her mom wasn't even there. So I, I don't think her mom was there because if she was, where did she go? Um, also, mm-hmm. the, it, it, the fact is, is that Vecna's already aware of her because she hears the clock before they even drive there. Mm-hmm. So my guess, my, my take on that is that no, her mom wasn't, wasn't there. I think she was able, I think Max was able to leave the letters inside, but, mm-hmm. um, they, but I don't, I don't think her mom was, was there. Yeah. I don't either because her mom seemed awfully cheerful to see Max and what we've seen her mom before, uh, in earlier episodes and the way Max has been talking about her, she's like, she has two jobs and she's always, you know, drinking a lot, and, you know, her mom's not, you know, really there for her, and I thought, wow, that's really odd. Her mom looks so happy, and, you know, Mm -hmm. they're doing the laundry and stuff, Yeah. and then now I'm like, I don't think she was really there. I think that was just Vecna messing with her, so I was like, I have to ask Robin what she thinks, because there's been a lot of confusion on that from you know, a lot of people on the internet and people I know personally who can't really decide if her mom was there or not. And I mean, I could be wrong, but that's, that's how I took it because it, because it just, it doesn't, and it could also be one of those, like her mom was there. Just don't worry about it. Like it, you know, one as, as a a common expression we use on, on, uh, over on coffee and contemplation is we're not meant to worry our pretty heads about it. Um, yeah. you know and it's but i yeah my take is that her mom wasn't there so the last oh sorry well just vecna being terrible yeah you know well it's kind of the same thing like with chrissy's mom Mm -hmm. she wasn't really there either well although actually that's a really good point though that you say that makes me wonder if like but that is you know yeah like her mom was really busy but i wonder if like by the fact that chrissy's mom appeared to her in the way that she did that and Chrissy didn't seem like surprised by it 
I wonder if maybe that actually is like Max's default setting for what her interaction with her mom would be like, maybe not at the moment, but maybe that's like more of like what she's been throughout more of her life, which I would buy that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why she fell into it. So, so seamlessly, man, my heart just breaks though. Like when it, when it, it makes it a lot sadder too, that her mom isn't there at all. Cause I even started to write down in my notes, like, I love this scene between Max and her mom. And then it's like, and then Vecna gets in the way and it's like, oh no, that was Vecna the whole time. That sucks. Yeah. Like in, in, in a good way, like my heart breaks in the way I think it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. Like it's, you know, you feel for Max cause it's like, uh, like she, I, it struck me in watching, watching it the second time too, that Sadie Sink weirdly reminds me of a very young Alexis Bledel from Gilmore mm-hmm. Girls. Like, cause I, I ended up rewatching some Gilmore Girls recently and I went, who does Rory remind me of? Like in a way that I haven't thought before. And it was like, oh, Sadie Sink, which I wouldn't think that they look alike, but especially when Alexis Bledel was young, she mm-hmm. had like, like you notice her freckles and stuff. And yeah. she's, she's a little more dressed down in the earlier seasons uh-huh. of Gilmore Girls. So it's like, oh yeah, they kind of remind me of one another weird, but, but yeah, like she looks so young in this episode, which is yeah. bizarre considering that they're all so much older than the characters are supposed yeah. to be. But yeah, she just looks... I don't know if that's just sync being in it in the way mm-hmm. that, you know, her performance is just that good that she comes across as young, but yeah, she's uh this poor child. So my last question, and this is kind of about like season four across the board, not really, you know, subjected just to this one episode, but something I've kind of been thinking about recently. Uh, do you think that there was too many new characters this season? I know it's been a hot topic or you think Um, it was necessary to this season, what they were doing this season. Listen, I'm just going to come straight out the gate and say, like, I agree with everybody. Eddie should not have, should not have died. Um, I also think that I'm a little bit conflicted about, about that in a way, because, and I was conflicted about it at the end of season three, when we were talking about hope, fears, expectations for season four. The truth is, is that it's like strange. One of stranger things strengths is its new characters. Their characters mm-hmm. are some, like, I can't, in fact, I, I think, I, I don't think I've said this already, um, but consistently every time they bring in new characters they're always good like they're the Mm -hmm. only exceptions to that are are yuri but even yuri ends up working in the end i think he's valuable to this to this season like as Mm -hmm. obnoxious and grating as he is initially and throughout most you get a really strong return on investment Mm -hmm. and i think that that's true across the board the only new characters that i don't that i have not ever felt like were valuable were the Russian baddies last season, but everybody else. I mean, so in a way I'm like, no, I want them to keep introducing characters because they're good at it. Like those mm-hmm. are, the, the characters are great. I mean, the fact that Eddie, I mean, Max, I remember when season two came out, a lot of people didn't like Max and they yeah. didn't want her there. And I'm like, now she's like everybody's favorite, which is like I love I actually love that because it's like this is because this is a show strength they introduce yeah. characters really really strongly at the same time it's a really big cast <laughs> there's yeah. so many characters so like it's kind of a double-edged sword because 
I don't feel like they should deliberately like cut themselves off from doing mm-hmm. something that 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 is one of the most enjoyable things about the show. And actually, yeah. I would say, like, I mean, even a character like Christy, she was fantastic. And even though we lose her super early, and I had wondered if we would because she was in like none of the press material, like mm-hmm. we hardly saw her at all. So I was, I don't think she's gonna last very long. <laughs> but it's like the I mean even Jason like he's an incredibly valuable antagonist this season like I'm almost a little bit bummed that he won't be back like I kind of feel about Jason the way I feel about Darth Maul in the Phantom Menace I'm like he was really interesting and now he's gone okay but I mean I'm not mad that like he, he 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 suffers like Jason is horrendously awful but like he was really compelling and he's a really valuable villain and so I don't know I don't know that I have a definitive like yes there are too many no there aren't too many because it's like I feel the as a writer myself I'm like I can feel the struggle that that must be for Mm -hmm. them it's like and I mean again I think every new character added something really really valuable so I agree like you know one of the things that kind of frustrates me about uh people on the internet who complain about the cast being too big i mean i understand it's a lot for only eight or nine episodes per season but like go watch tv show on like abc or something where there's you know 20 you know some odd episodes like right now i'm watching a show called nashville it came out have you seen it Yes, yeah, I'm I a love huge fan of Nashville. I yeah, love Nashville. I, um, I'm in, in fact, season two right now, loving it. But there's, I mean, there's like a little over 20 episodes per season. And you start out episode one. And then if you watch the very last episode of the season, there's like 20 new characters. And then some you thought were going to be there. And like, where do all these people come from? And it's like, they continue to use them throughout the season. And it's like, what Stranger Things is not unheard of. It's very popular to do. It's just, they don't have as many episodes as other TV shows do. And at least you actually get time to be invested with the new characters. Um, Unlike on a a TV show that has a lot of episodes, sometimes you don't. Because they're not always in the episodes. And you're like, well, why? <laughs> you know? I mean, I think where they struggle is finding the right the right balance in Stranger Things with how much screen time we need to give to everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's something, I think Jonathan actually is a really good example of them struggling to make him feel relevant. I, you know, uh, I love Jonathan Byers, but I also feel like they could have maybe pulled him back a little bit and changed some of his motivation at the beginning to make some of his participation feel a little bit less clunky and Mm -hmm. I but at the same time I can I can feel that it comes from a place of like they love him and the audience loves Jonathan at least a certain portion of it loves Jonathan he has his fans and I count myself as one of them but I can also see that like structurally and narratively he's Mm -hmm. beginning to feel a little bit lost in the weeds because there's so much going on I also something I've been thinking about lately is the idea that I think Dustin has sort of this is not disrespect to Mike, I promise. 
but I think Dustin has sort of just the way that characters evolve and shift and change. I think Dustin has actually sort of taken over as sort of the center, the center figure of that age group. It's just happened kind of naturally. Again, that's not disrespect to Mike. That's not disrespect to Finn Wolfhard. I think Wolfhard's doing a great job. Um, I don't necessarily think like Matarazzo is a better actor. Like it's nothing like that. I just mm-hmm. think like sometimes on shows, characters, there's an ebb and flow and a time and a season and all that. And mm-hmm. I think that we're seeing some of that happen and I think they're fighting it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a huge cast. So I don't necessarily blame them for that. And I think we're all incredibly blessed to have had characters like Eddie and Dimitri and Jason, you know, uh, like even Yuri, you know, like, I mean, Owens, like I, I, I went on a love hate journey with Owens this season, but mm-hmm. like, I find myself going, is he alive? Like, I, <laughs> you know, I hope so. But even the, even the, the U S national guard dude, whose name always escapes me every time I try to to remember him but the 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 head like colonel mm-hmm. guy on the U- from the u.s government like he's a new character and he's really compelling and he he's barely on screen this season so yeah it's yeah. yeah so anything you would like to uh share with everyone you know where they can find you and your podcast um yeah so coffee and contemplation we're we're on pretty much all the all the main uh podcast podcatchers spotify apple podcasts uh you know all those good ones we're we're also on tiktok and twitter as coffee in hawkins and we're also on instagram as coffee and contemplation pod um you can find me on twitter i'm at unusual sidekick and uh yeah we're we're kind of taking a bit of a hiatus right now but we'll be back eventually but yeah we're we're a full rewatch podcast we started all the way back in season one and did up to season three right before season four came out so that's that's our jam yeah you should go check them out you won't be uh be disappointed well thanks robin for stopping by and uh talking a little dear billy with us it was wonderful having you on the show and uh best of luck to you and your podcast uh whenever y'all uh uh get back from your hiatus which i totally understand because i'm like i need a prank like i'm so mm-hmm. tired you know mm-hmm. but uh yeah so um Thanks everyone for joining us and we'll see you next week over and out. Thanks guys. Bye. Bye.